You guys can be seated. Welcome. Thank you so much. Today is already a great day. My wife just informed me that someone in my household received Jesus as their Savior today. Yeah. My three-year-old son sat down with my almost well, one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and he said, I baptized Lucy, which is a little doll of my daughter. He said, Selah, she got saved. So all of heaven rejoices. Lucy is uh, going to heaven. I don't know where he gets it. I don't know where he gets it. Thank you, guys. Is that even a kind? Not a, yeah. Let's move that over here a little bit. I will answer that on stage. Good morning. Sonny, cut all this off when we go to the uh, podcast. Today's sermon is going to be, well, I was worried on Monday. Wasn't I? <laughs> Today's text is one that is, is incredibly difficult, probably Jesus' most difficult parable. But I'm excited to, to get into this. As, as God has brought um, this week about, he is always faithful and good in giving wisdom. And so we just got done with the prodigal son, didn't we? Yeah? If you guys were here the last three weeks, what a great series, what a great parable as God describes the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost sons, and the father who welcomes sons back. In fact, it ends at the end of Luke 15. The last, the last part of Luke 15 ends like this. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. That's how he ends the Luke 15. And so it's so funny because what a great chapter. Of course, they didn't know it was chapters back then. Jesus didn't say, next chapter. He just kept living, right? He just kept going. But that was the end of Luke 15. And so we have to look at what's happening in Luke 15 because it's still in that same zone. Remember, Jesus is talking to a specific crowd. He's talking to uh, tax collectors and sinners, it says. The, yeah, the, those people, the sinners. He's talking to the, the religious elite and the Pharisees. Yeah, those people. So a lot of different, from all walks of life, he's just told them this beautiful parable about the father and how now the son is back. And then it says in Luke 16, Jesus told his disciples. So what happened was this. He's telling all the people, it says he's talking to them in their context. And as he's finishing up, the Pharisees and the people are chewing on the, on the parable. Uh, am I the older brother? Am I the younger brother? They're, they're, they're thinking about all those things. They're starting to shuffle out. They're starting to walk away, maybe talking with somebody about it. And Jesus turns back to his disciples. Now he's talking to his posse. And he says this. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. And every Pharisee and tax collector went, what? Because you see, they're rich men. They're rich people. And they have a household manager managing their things. And they're probably wondering, I wonder if that guy's doing his job. I wonder if she's doing her job. Je Jesus, the master teacher, the master storyteller, just says one line. Zzz, and he has them. No one leaves. Like he's just talking to his disciples, but everybody who was kind of milling out, just, it'd be like, like at 11.30, Service is done, and I just say one line. Everybody goes, well, we're not done yet. Wouldn't that be awesome? Let's try that. 
Jesus was the master teacher. I'm, I'm just Daniel. So he, so he, see, see, they all had managers in their house who would care for their affairs while they're out doing their thing. Now, this manager was an employee of theirs, and they're probably all wondering, what actually goes on? I get some reports, and, and I can be as involved as I want to be, but this guy's in charge of all my money. This woman's in charge of all my stuff, managing my household. What's going on with all that stuff? He spoke that sentence, and they all stopped. They all turned around, and Jesus goes into another parable. Now, this parable is going to be different than the ones we've experienced the chapter before. This parable is different because in the previous chapter, we had a coin, a sheep, and a son. That was us. And then we had a shepherd, a woman looking for the coin, and the father, and that was God. And so we put God in it. We put us in it. We find who we are. It teaches us a lesson. This parable's not like that. This is, a, this is a different kind of parable. This is one, if, if it was today's version, it would be on YouTube and you would just watch it and then it will apply to us. So instead of putting ourselves into the parable today, we're gonna see what we can get out of the parable today as Jesus set, tells us the story and then applies it to us. And in this parable, it's about money. I just wanna go ahead and just tell you up front so you can groan and go, oh, great. Church and money, here we go. They're going to take an offering, another offering. They're going to pass a plate, you know. So one of those things, I'm just getting you ready for the money. I'm not doing that. We're not doing that. Jesus talked about money a lot, and this is one of them. And the second one, maybe your reaction isn't, oh, great. Maybe you're curious because I'm about to tell you something in today's sermon. Jesus is about to reveal in Luke 16 how God sees your, how God sees your money how God sees money, yours, mine, everyone's. Are you a little curious to know how God views money? I mean, that's kind of, some of us, like, I'm already convicted. Like, I, I, I bought the big coffee. I probably shouldn't have spent that much. You know, I, I, oh, great. I'm gonna, already feeling bad about the things. Oh, I got this. I got the, the super big gulp. God can't be pleased with super big gulps. Whatever it would be in your life, you know, what, what does God think about our money? Jesus is about to show us and tell us how God sees money. And so we're going to look at this parable. We're going to listen to what Jesus tells us, the master storyteller, and see what God would tell us about money. Verse 1. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Right there. So the rich man called the manager in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot manage any longer. Now, we don't know if this manager was wasting the money out of incompetence or apathy or both. We don't know how he was wasting it. We're led to believe that he was not embezzling money here at the first. If he had been embezzling money right here, the master would have immediately arrested him, sent him out. It would have gone differently. No, this is just maybe incompetence or apathy. But he doesn't like it. And he wants somebody else. And he says, you know what? Go get your books together. What is this I hear about you mismanaging? Go pack up your desk. And by the end of the day, bring me the spreadsheets, do the PowerPoint. I want to see all the numbers. I'm going to audit everything, and then we're going to part ways. Now, it's not just losing your job for this manager. He lives in this household. He eats this food. It provides everything for him, his roof, his meals, all of those things. He lives and manages this household. So he doesn't just lose his job and go back to his apartment. He has no apartment, okay? And he's getting paid by the, with the housing and the food. So this is a big loss to him. The manager leaves the master, and he has a small window of time where he still carries the authority of the rich man. No one knows he's fired yet. He still hasn't turned in everything yet. He's still the manager-ish, kind of. This is gray area. And in verse 3, the manager says to himself, 
what should I do now? What shall I do? My master's taking away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I'm getting fired and I'm an inside person and I don't have calluses. I can't go out and, and, and just dig and I, I'm not gonna go out and beg. What do I do? What should I do here? Now he's not, again, he's not just losing his job, he's losing everything and he comes up with a plan. Verse four, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. Now that could mean anything. It could mean that they let him, they just give him room and board. It could mean they hire him on as their manager. They welcome them into their house as an employer or as a guest. But he's going to do something. The plan involves doing something now so that others will take him in then. This man has had a sudden change of perspective. See, before meeting with the boss, he was having fun going about his life, enjoying his job or not doing his job, but focused on the here and now and obviously wasn't focused too far on the future because he's losing the very employment he should have been doing. He's just in the moment. But immediately he gets told he's getting fired and he goes, looks up above the horizon and says, what's next? We've all had these moments get a diagnosis, you get a, you get a job, word from your job, you get, hear something about a family member, you hear something, the car won't start, and you immediately begin looking, well, what's next? <laughs> we, we get our heads out of the here and now and go, I should probably do something about then. I have to worry about then now. What does he do? I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, People will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He calls in the people who owe his rich master debts. He still has his office. He still has his, what looks like authority. His degrees are on the wall. It's still his kind of place. Now, his first question to the debtor, I think, gives us a clue as to why he's being fired. The manager should have books that reflect everything. And he calls in this debtor and says, hey, what, what does your book say that you owe my, man, my master? He doesn't even know. He should know. This is, this is his job. He should know these things. He, he calls him and he goes, what, what does it say over there? Oh, that's what I have here too. Like, yeah. What does it say on your books? The man replies, 900 gallons of olive oil. 900 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil. We learned that the master is a very wealthy man, a trader of commodities, and not a small-time operation. No, no, he's Grand Junction to Denver. He's going big cities. He, he has some big things going on, you know? 900 gallons. So the manager told him, take your bill. Sit down quickly, because time is short. Sit down quickly and make it 450 just cut his debt in half. 450 gallons of olive oil. I don't know what that looks like, but somebody who knows these things said that's 225 trees worth of oil. So that's, I don't even know what that means, but it means something to someone here. And so it's a lot of oil. That's all it means to me. A lot, 450 gallons of olive oil. Could you imagine if somebody working for the bank walked up to you and said, hey, what did your mortgage say you owe? This much. Just cut that in half. Oh, what would that day be like? That's a great day. And this man, this man, this oil dealer who gets it cut in half, he is amazed. 
Now remember the manager's intent, the manager's intent, he said this, I am going to do something now so that they will take me in then. So he cuts this debt and the oil dealer says, thank you. Hey, hey, if there's anything I can ever do for you, let me know. The manager just thinks to himself, okay, I will. Sooner than you think, don't worry. But he's not done. He calls in the second one. And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. A thousand bushels. That's a lot of bushels. It's a lot of wheat. Now, apparently this debt is very big compared to even the gallons debt as far as money. And this debt is um, a thousand bushels. He cuts it and he says, make it 800. He cuts off 200 bushels. Now, while that's not cutting off half, apparently in the economy there, it's even a bigger cut. It, it's, it's, it's more money. In fact, I, I read somewhere it said it would be 16 months salary for any working class person. He cut off 16 months salary. That's, that's how long, this is how big this was. It was a huge cut. He cuts it from 1,000 to 800. And the wheat dealer is like, I, I can't believe it. Listen, if you ever... If you ever need anything, you don't even hesitate to ask. The manager thought, ah, I won't tomorrow. Let's just summarize this very quickly because I'm telling you, this parable is, you ever hear Jesus say something? You're like, Jesus, why'd you say that? <laughs> and what are you trying to tell us? A rich master learns his household finance manager is incompetent and says, you're fired. Get your things, come back, and it's over. So the manager hustles, goes out, and embezzles and steals money from the master to secure his future. The master's losing lots of money here. This manager is gaining. And now he goes back to meet the rich man. And I can just see this. They go back and they're across the desk and he brings in the PowerPoint and he brings in the spreadsheets and he has all these things. And the manager has all of his stuff. But the rich man either knows more than he lets on or he just sees in the numbers that it's different. Maybe he knows. I remember that debt being bigger. Because he sees and knows what the manager has done, and more so, he knows why the manager did it. He knows the manager used his money to curry favor with other people. So he's sitting across the desk from this dishonest manager. How should the rich man respond? How should he respond? Don't put it up there yet, Steve. How should he respond? I said, don't put it up there yet. How should the manager, I wonder, how, I wonder what happens next. It's, the, it's all a mystery. How should the rich man respond? In the natural. Easy. Listen here. You've stolen from me. You have cost me money thinking that you could get yourself ahead with these other people. They owe me money. Not only am I going to make those debts correct again, but right now you're going to debtor's prison and you're going to work that off to me. You are going away. You're going to jail. Your life is now different. You will have a place to stay, but it won't be with them. <laughs> you will have food, but it won't be that food. You'll be in jail. Now, remember, Jesus is telling a parable to the disciples, knowing that all these wealthy people are listening in. They're all leaning in. 
Well, they know what should happen. And remember, Jesus is going to tell them and tell us how God views money, which is why the end is so wild. The rich man across the desk from the manager looks across, and in verse 8 says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. The word commended means praised. He praised him. I can just see him sitting across from him. He looks at the books. He looks up at him. He goes, I got to admit, well played. Well played. That was shrewd. He praises his shrewdness. That doesn't sound like sending someone to jail. Now, he doesn't praise his dishonesty. Praises his shrewdness. Shrewdness is, is acute, cutting, like cunning wisdom for a circumstance. Now, now, shrewdness doesn't have to be bad. You can be, you can be pure and be shrewd. He was not. He was not pure, but he was shrewd. Like, and here's the thing. Can I just tell you something? That's the end of the parable. That's it. That's where, that's where Jesus says that this, the scene closes. And, and then Jesus goes into two, two parts of application. Now, all the application is actually next week in my dad's sermon, which that's awesome. So I got two verses left. Two verses. And Charlie and I worked, yeah. Two verses to unpack what is going on here. We have to listen, listen to the, the, or look at the point of view of the rich people listening. If, as they're hearing this story, they've just heard about a, a father who took his son back after all he did. And they're already just, minds are blown and they're already kind of reeling from that. And now they hear about this rich man who, praises his shrewd manager. And they're like, Jesus, you, you don't get it. Do you live in the real world? That's not how it works. You, know, you want to know what I would do? I would have him, them paying full price and he would be in jail, Jesus. That's what happens. That's what we do. So in these next two verses, what do we find out? Here they are. It doesn't make it any better. It actually just kind of makes it worse. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. And I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcome, welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Jesus, I have to preach this on Sunday. What am I supposed to say about that? What do we do with this? What's he saying here? God's gonna tell us, Jesus is telling us how God views money and this is what he tells us, use your money to buy friends. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. Let's look at this first. Let's break it up. Now it compares these two groups of people, people of this world and people of the light and simply all that means is the people of the light are the ones who would claim I follow Jesus in our context. People of the light are ones who have said, I believe in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and I follow him. That would be people of light. People of the world are those who say, I don't believe that. That's the two groups he has here. He's talking about in our, in our context that would be here today. So people who do not follow Jesus are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than people who do follow Jesus. Does this have to do with Christians in business? If we're not shrewd. What is he, what is he saying? Why are the people of this world more shrewd? You know, and I, I can only, as I'm thinking through this, the thought that if there is somebody out there who doesn't believe in, uh, that, that 
that after this life, I move on? If there's somebody out there who believes that after I die, that's it. That this life, this rat race is all I have. I'm gonna climb to the top. I'm going to wring as much as I can out of this life because this is it. There's, there's some cunning and there's some shrewdness that would go into living that way. One poet put it like this. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. Opportunity comes once in a lifetime. <laughs> That's what it means is I have one life to make this thing work. One life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to get out of this world what I want to get out of this world. On the other hand, if you have someone who believes that this life is just practice for the great chorus in the sky to come, that I might not be rich here, but I'm going to be rich in heaven. <laughs> I have my security someday. There can be an apathy that seeps into that person's life as they are waiting for theirs in the next life. You know what? This isn't my one shot. This is just the preamble to the big party. There's a contentment that comes with that mindset that Jesus is talking about. And you know what Jesus, God says this? He says, no, don't do that. Don't be the person who's just kind of sitting back, relaxing in this life because you know you're gonna be rich. You know you're gonna be healthy. Like, I'm gonna let my life fall apart now because it's gonna be, per- it's gonna be perfect. And this is way oversimplified. But, but, but when it says there's two groups of people and one is more shrewd, I do believe that th- that, that is the context of what he's talking about. Jesus says, don't do that. Live this life knowing this is the one life here on this earth that you get. Live this life knowing this is the one life that people around you get to meet me. You be as shrewd as you can in this life. Yes, there is a world to come, but you be as shrewd as you can in this day, in this here, in this now. He wants his children to apply an amazing amount of cleverness and cunning and shrewdness to the decisions that we make in life, in business, with our relationships. Now remember, we think shrewd, we think, oh man, cutting corners and, and kind of back alley deals. It doesn't mean that. It means sharp wisdom for a circumstance. That you know the end game in mind. That you have an end game for your life and these relationships. That I, I'm on this earth and I want people around me to know Jesus and I'm gonna make decisions, shrewd decisions, so that they do know him. I'm not just going to coast. The final verse drives this home. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when you are gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends. Now, we know what he doesn't mean. We can turn back one chapter and read about the prodigal son who went and rented a flat in Vegas and had lots of friends party with him. They'd show up and just pass out with him. He had lots of friends based on his money, and then when the money was gone, so were they. They were temporary friends. Jesus uses the word eternal in here. This isn't temporary friendships. This isn't, this isn't the temporary friends that pass out of your flat, prodigal son. This is something different. Use your, use your worldly wealth to gain friends in light of eternity. He makes a distinction here. He says, use your worldly wealth. He could have used any, like what other wealth is there, Jesus. Use your worldly wealth. What this means is all the resources at your disposal that are temporary. Your worldly wealth isn't just your money. It's all the capital that you have in your temporary world. It's your time, your schedule, your energy, your intellect, 
It's all the things in this earth, not just your money, but including your money. Use your worldly wealth, all the stuff that you have accumulated, use that to gain relationships. Now, it's, it's still so hard. Isn't it, isn't it a little strange? You can nod. It's okay. It's a little strange. It's a little strange to have Jesus say, use that car you have, use it to get some friends. You could really use some friends. Some of you could use some friends. Jesus says you can buy them. <laughs> Jesus, what are you telling us here? What are you telling us? Use our worldly wealth, our investments, our collections, our hobbies, our house, our car, our influence, our degrees on the wall, our time, our schedule, our energy, whatever it is in my earthly temporary resources. Use that to gain relationships that reflect into eternity. He says two words here that are clarifying, relationships and eternity. He's saying something here. He's he's telling us something. We're going to keep going. He's telling us this is how my father views money. In fact, I'm going to give away the whole thing right here. The whole thing. This is the sermon. Use all of your earthly wealth, all the temporary things that you have, all the things you can't take with you. Use it all and invest it, spend it, be shrewd with it, leverage it for things that are eternal. Now, what is eternal? Well, the Bible tells us that the spirit, the the word of God is eternal and that the souls of humans are eternal. If I am to, if the bottom line is to spend my temporary earthly worldly wealth into things that are eternal, I spend it into spiritual things and I spend it into relationships for spiritual reasons because every human has a spirit, has a soul that is eternal. There's something set apart in us that is eternal. If I'm going to invest in things that last, I'm going to invest in things that last beyond this earth. Do you know um, you can't take your stuff with you? We, do you know that? Do you know who thought they could take it with them? The pharaohs. <laughs> they died and they had these big rooms and they would get buried with all their stuff and all their trinkets and all their gold everywhere. And when we opened those tombs, do you know what we found? The stuff. still there. We take nothing with us. The things that we cling so hard to, we cannot take with us. And God says, be open-handed with that for the things that go on forever. Be open-handed with the temporary for that which is eternal. Be shrewd with what is temporary for that which is eternal. So what is he saying? What's the bottom line? Use, use that. Use your temporary stuff for eternal purposes. Shrewdly spend all that you have, temporary resources, so that people will come to know around you what is eternal. Now, hard teaching. This is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is that money stuff. Somehow, by the way we live, the way we act, the way we invest ourselves, through our influence, through your grace, and through your love for other people, somehow through the way that you invest all of your temporary resources, personality, who you are, your position, people can come to know an eternal God. How does God see your money? I'll tell you. He sees it as a tool. He sees it as a tool. A temporary, earthly tool for eternal purposes. And he commends people who shrewdly invest their temporary things 
in something that's eternal. It's only a tool. I, I don't think I'm going to get to heaven. He's going to go, Daniel, you made a lot of money. Come on in. I don't think he's going to say, you're really poor. Come on in. Neither one of those sides is right. The money doesn't go with us. It's a tool for eternal purposes. Spend what you cannot keep on what lasts forever. Let me briefly reveal to you why this is so counterintuitive. And this is, um, there's five capitals in our life, five resources in our life. And there's up for a lot of debate on this stuff. That's okay. Mike Bream wrote this book, and I, I, I resonated with the fact that there are five areas of our life where we have capital, where we have resources. And the world orders them in a certain way. This is the culture of the world and how they order these resources right here. From top down, the first resource is financial. The first capital, the, this is the order in the rat race. Cap, financial, number one. Intellectual, number two. Relational, physical, and spiritual last. These are the five areas that we have resources. And the way that you order these will drastically change the way that you operate in the world. The way that you see money changes the way that you spend money. The way that you see money changes the way that you spend money. And whatever you have up top, you're going to be trading these things for. You trade those below for those things on top. Let me define these quickly. Financial, this is easy. Money, monetary. Intellectual, this is your, uh, this is, um, your education, your degrees. This is the influence that you can wield through those thoughts. Then we have um, relational, this is your friends and relationships. Physical, this is your health and your body, but not just that. It's your schedule, your energy, your time, where you invest yourself. And then finally, the spiritual, this is our relationship God with God. Now, there are definitely some caveats here, and people would say, ah, you know, in the academic world, they put intellectual, they switch these two. And like, you know, actually, the, these two are switched. But here's, here's how it would look. If financial, if this is our highest value, then I go to school to get more of this. I, actually, I learned to make friends to help get me ahead. And, and we get so used to this when we drift into this way of living, we don't even think that I'm using people. We don't even think that, hey, I'm using this person. But we do make friendships with end games in mind that aren't eternal. Shrewdness is making an end game that's eternal. He's saying, no, 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 listen, this is a, this is a temporary end game. I'm using these relationships for these things. Now again, it's not a pretty picture, but the rat race looks like this. Then physical, how often do we see that um, things suffer down here because of what's going on up here? The more this becomes my, the, the thing that I am going after, um, my health deteriorates. In fact, my schedule changes. I'm not around as much in these relational areas that mean more. I'm not around as much. My energy is getting poured into here. And then spiritually, if this is our way we live, spiritually, well, Number five, you know, God, I give you an hour and a half every other week on Sunday. That, that's, a, that's it. Now, it's, it's not a pretty picture, but let me flesh it out. Because we see this all the time. We just don't see it like this. We see this all the time in our world. Somebody, and he, t he tells a story about somebody who gets a job and moves his family across country. He gets a big promotion and he moves his family across country. He, he uproots all the relationships that they had in their life. If they, have, if they have kids, all the relationships their kids had at the schools they're at, their church life, whatever relationship constellations they have, he trades in all his, where he is in life, all his friends, he trades in anything down here because the promotion has called. And that happens, it's common. And oftentimes we don't, we don't even question that. We just go, man, congratulations. Congratulations. 
You have just traded everything below here for that. I get it. Every circumstance is different. We've all done this. We've all seen it done. Every circumstance is different. And in fact, God in the Bible often will call people away from all their relationships to go to a far off land. It's not ordered like this, but I understand. I'm not making broad judgments for those of you in here going like, well, I got a promotion. (laughs) As a rule, common. This is common in our society to take a promotion and sink these things and just move on. I have a friend here um, he gave me permission to tell this story and also to be anonymous. 2016, he was at the top of his game in his industry. He had an amazing year, more money than he'd ever made and set himself up for a 2017 that would just be even bigger and that's hard to imagine based on his 2016. He um, was the top of his industry, worked hard and made it. And because of that, had position and power and places, he was earning these things that meant so much. And I sat across from him, looked him in the eye, we were talking about life, and he said, I'm shutting it all down. I said, what? Man, you are way too young to retire. I mean, you had a good year, but it wasn't that good. I mean, you got got 40 more years of money in you? I'm not retiring. He said, I'm shutting the whole thing down. I said, you just had the best year of your life. I know. I know I did. I'm shutting it down. This is the last year I'll do. And I said, I am, I, why? I, I'm, I'm hooked now. Like, man, tell me what's going on. And this is what he said. He said, I had the privilege of having an incredible father. And I want my daughter to have the same. Said, Whoa. What? top of your game, all that you have, all the earning potential for years to come, and you're saying you're just out? He goes, yeah. He pulled out his phone. He says, I, would be, I could be at some of the practices and some of the games, but if this rings, I'm that dad. On the, I have to be on the phone. I am trading this phone in that I have to answer at all times for one I don't have to answer after five. He goes, I'm getting a nine-to-five job. I'm turning it all in. And something in me just said, yes. We apl- That's amazing. Do you think he's going to be at the end of his life and regret that decision? Do you think his daughter will regret that decision? Do you think his son will regret that decision? Listen, the story is unique. And that proves to us that in our society, this is the order. The reason it's unique is because he's like, he's making wait, this doesn't belong over here, and this doesn't, we, we, he talked about how he's gonna invest in the church, how he's gonna, what, what he, what's important to him here. He's making wholesale changes to his life, and it will never look the same. Unfortunately, this is what's most common. And so how does God's kingdom look like? And why is it shorter than the other easel? Oh, don't touch that. Nope. This thing's held together by twine and duct tape, scotch tape. (laughs) I think we could invest a little more money into our easels. I know we don't order it like that. No, (laughs) let me just do this. I would love for you to hold it. You just want to be seen again, don't you, Trev? (laughs) Thank you, thank you. So, come right over here. Right there. Um, so this is how, <laughs> you're the podcast, you're missing out right now. This is how the world, 
This is how the world orders it. How does God order it? First and foremost, we have spiritual. You probably could have guessed that, right? Spiritual is number one. Next one is this. How does God's order go? Next one. Relational. After that, there's much debate on these next two. And depending on your personality, you will place them how you want to place them. Is it intellectual next? Is it physical next? Is it my energy? Is it all that? It depends on, you can debate this in your growth group. For now, I'm just going to put intellectual. Can you read that? And then physical. And then at the bottom, in God's economy, financial. Now, why is this important? In this church, what is our vision? Let's just do that again. What is our vision here at the orchard? To love and love, love God and love people. And we get that from the Old Testament, even the New Testament, the Shema, the prayer they prayed throughout this Bible that said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And so here, we reverberate with that. Our church's DNA is the DNA that Jesus lived by and the Bible is written by. Love God and love people. And if we look at here at the order, we have right here, love God, love people. Number one and number two. And as we move down the order of heaven, we have intellectual, love God with all your mind. And in fact, also remember, loving God with all your strength, it doesn't mean your muscles, it means your influence. All the intellect you have, love God with it. Listen, don't have your own agenda intellectually. Don't have your own biases trying to lead people into this. Everything below here, these things should feed up into it. Have your intellect, love God with all your mind, and may it be for eternal purposes. Your physical, all your resources. Love God with your soul, which is the whole of your life. Love him which is with your strength, which is the influence. Love him with all the ways, your presence at certain places, your schedule, your energy, where you spend yourself. Love God with all your mind, all your strength, and finally, lastly, your, your finances. Simply this, love God with your strength, your influence. It's simply a tool to invest in the kingdom and what matters most. See, I'm going to tell you guys something. There's, there's a few things on here that are temporary. It's those. And there's some things in here that are eternal. It's those. And why would we invest ourselves in things that are temporary God's saying, make a trade. So why was the dishonest, shrewd manager, why was he praised? Because for the first time in his life, he made a good trade. See, in the world society, everybody's thinking, why did he praise him? He made a terrible trade. He did this for this. But over here in God's, he traded up. He was shrewd. Be shrewd with what you have. Trade into eternity. Invest into eternity. Perhaps, listen, and here's the thing. God views our money, thank you very much. You can have a seat. God views our money as a tool. It's all from him, it's all for him. And what does this look like for you? Listen, maybe you have just a little bit of resource here. Maybe you just have a little financial. Maybe you have a little physical. Maybe you have a middle. Maybe you have a lot. Listen, listen, like I said earlier, the prosperity gospel and the poverty gospel are both not true. Neither one of them. The gospel is the gospel. It's these two, love God and love people. So maybe you have a little, middle, or a lot. What it's saying here is, man, whatever it is you have, just, it's how you view it that's important. Do you view it according to God's kingdom? Or do you view it up here? You can have the tiniest amount and live like this. There's nothing wrong with making money or being wealthy, just like there's nothing godly about being poor. 
Invest your money, invest your life, invest your resources, invest who you are and do things that are eternal. And one last thing, this is the last one. In verse nine it says this, spend all we have on relationships with eternity in mind. Spend it on relationships with eternity in mind. There's this, there's this connection between the relationships and eternity. That at the end of our days when all is past, what does it look like to be welcomed into eternity? It says so you'll be welcomed into eternity. What does that mean? Well, there's an old classic Christian song that I just hesitate to even bring up, but I can't help it, and some of you will laugh at this. Ray Bolts, thank you. And it's the story of this guy who goes to heaven, and he's walking with Jesus. And as he's walking, it says this, somebody called out to him, and he's with Jesus, and a young, it says, um, a young man came running, and he said, friend, you may not know me now, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week before the class, you would say a prayer. And it was one day when you said that prayer that I asked Jesus into my heart. Thank you. And he goes, thank you. Because of what you did and your investment in me in Sunday school, I'm here today. And then it goes on to say like, hey, this missionary over there, you gave the little tiny bit. It goes on, there's this line of people in heaven welcoming him saying, because of you, I am here. Because of what you did and how you lived and how you loved, I am here today. You traded in everything you could. You spent everything of yourself and your energy and your time for what's eternal. And because you did that, I stand here in heaven. Thank you. Does that what it looks like to be welcomed into eternity based on the relationship you vested into? I don't know. That's an old song. It's an old idea. But perhaps it comes from an ancient rabbi who said spend everything you have into what matters most and you will be welcomed into eternity based on those relationships. There'll be people waiting for you that say thank you. See, I, I can't help but think, when we think of our lives, we often think about what and I'm going to have to show for my life. What do I have to show for my life? What do I have to show for my 40 years? I had this big midlife crisis. What do I have to show for my 40 years? And it seems like Jesus is saying, it's not what you have to show for your life. It's who. Who do you have to show for your life? It's not what. It's who. That you would invest every what and how and thing and stuff that you have into the who that is eternal, that matters most. So that when you get to heaven, There'll be those people there who say, because of the words that you weren't embarrassed to speak to me, because of the dinners we had and, and, and that you weren't afraid to talk about God, because of the invitations you just kept giving me, because of the roof you put over my head, because of the meals you gave me, because of what you spent, because of how you blessed, because of how you loved, I'm here today because of you and how you spent your life. Maybe that's what it means. Maybe that's what it looks like to use our worldly wealth for relationships that echo into eternity. You know, someday we'll have God's full perspective on this. We'll have God's full perspective on all of our problems, all of our problems financially, intellectually, all the relational stuff. We will have his perspective. And we will see what mattered most. That there were things that, that were gone in a heartbeat. And there are those, the souls of people around us that last forever. Orchard, may we be a church that is known for loving God and loving people. And with that, we're invited to live a life that reflects the order of heaven 
to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength first and love others as yourself. And may all other earthly resources in your life just be open-handed to him, saying, Father, may, may everyone I know come to know you because of something that I have earthly in me. I believe, Charlie believes, the elders believe that God is going to continue to do great things here at the orchard. And we're gonna celebrate, not because we have a trophy of a big church, not because we have influence or anything, but because we're going to see loving God and loving people made real in this world, and we're going to see people who we know begin to know Jesus. People far from God become, get to know him. Yes, amen? That's why we're here. So Orchard, you are some very generous people. Go out and be generous with your lives, your energy, your time, your schedule. Give yourself, invest yourself, be shrewd. Investing in the things that are eternal, into God's kingdom, into God's people, amen? amen? Jesus, we thank you so much for this difficult parable that it's so hard to understand. But Jesus, you make it very clear how you see money. You love people. Father, may we begin to see life the way that you see it. May we see our money the way that you see it. May we see people around us at work, people around us in life, the way you see them. And Father, we thank you for all you've done. We worship you now, we stand and worship you, and we will sing in Jesus' name, amen. You guys, let's stand and let's respond. For you here today, um, we have the uh, communion. This is the, body, the symbol of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. You are free to come down and take communion. Um, and as you do this, we're also going to have prayer team in the front and on the sides. If you have any prayer at all based on the sermon, based on a circumstance in your life, or just you want a blessing, come for prayer.